Profane Faith fam, this week we are having a special episode dealing with the whole R. Kelly issue. Yeah. As you know, R. Kelly is much bigger than just R. Kelly. And the issue of sexual abuse, misogyny, sexism, rape, incest, and even sex crimes are an issue that does not get much airtime at all. We here at Profane Faith want to engage and continue these here conversations. We feel it is necessary for both healing and awareness. That being said, I wanted to give you a heads up that the material to be discussed deals with explicit areas surrounding sexual abuse. Please be advised and use caution as needed. This shit needs to end, but we have a long way to go. Traumatic experiences and victimization can create thoughts, feelings, and experiences that are different person to person. The impact and intensity can be based on upbringing, point of view, past experiences, ability to cope, the meaning behind the event, the severity of the experience or experiences, and more. So with that, let's move on faithfully and forward, y'all. Okay? Peace, fam. Let's get into this. He said, in there shall be signs of the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. I think she's a liar and I think she deserves mockery. It was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. Black lives are very important. White lives are very important. And to me, all lives are very important. Very, very important. Damn! This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, how y'all doing? This is Dan White Hodge, your host for Profane Faith, this here podcast. And I want to welcome you to a special episode uh, dealing with the docuseries on Lifetime, Surviving R. Kelly. Um, fam... Uh, as you heard from the the intro, this is going to be, you know, this is a three-part series, and we're going to be dealing with some very heavy stuff. Uh, one of the things that we don't talk a lot about, particularly in POC communities, uh, is the issue of sexual abuse, uh, gender identity, sexuality, and period, right? Um, and I felt, particularly as I was watching this docuseries, that we needed to have a broader conversation, and I wanted to... Now, obviously not have my voice as a man. I wanted to have women's voice, particularly black women's voices, as it pertained to what this whole thing might mean. R. Kelly is bigger than R. Kelly. Uh, this issue of believing black women, this issue of um, black women being sexually abused and no one ever talking about it till later. You know, it's, it, it's the old saying, right? It takes one guy to tell you, you know, 50 women are hoes, but it tells, it takes, you know, 50 women to tell you that one guy has been raping them. And that stands out. I mean, a big time to me and having been raised by two women, those of you who've listened to my own story and my, and my, and my own history, uh, I saw firsthand what, you know, this abuse looks like. And even with that, even with the knowledge, even with the engagement of with having two women in my life, there was still an air of hypermasculinity that I am still undoing and deconstructing. Stuff that goes deep, how we talk to our women, how we look at women, how we can just write women off as bitches or hoes, or even worse, that they're crazy because they're bringing this type of stuff up. 
This stuff is insidious, guys, and, and gals, and every non-binary in between. This stuff is heinous. And the more I uncover, the more I find out, man, there are a lot of people who have been sexually abused. Maybe it was by a family member. Maybe it was by a, a partner that you trusted for a long time. Maybe it was by someone you were dating. I don't know, but it is crazy to me that these women who in parts of the docuseries, they're saying that there were carloads of women, carloads of women, y'all, that were coming to R. Kelly's house. I want to know about the enablers. I want to know about his security. I want to know about the folks that were there that were seeing this go on and not saying anything. Man alive. And if you haven't seen the docuseries, I will say there's definitely triggers as somebody who hasn't experienced like direct, like somebody like sexually assaulting me. I can tell you it was triggering. Uh, so I can only imagine. Well, I can't imagine if if you are somebody who has had those or those awful and heinous experiences. Um it, it would be triggering. And so I just want to give you that heads up. If you have seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's it's amazing. And, the, and, the, and what's even more astounding and mind blowing is is the response on social media, particularly from other men, you know, who say, you know, oh, we got to have two sides to the story. You know, I don't hear folks who are talking about Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown. Right. Do you hear other black folks saying like in 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 loud vocal strains? Sure. You may have one or two of them was saying we need to hear the other side of the story. We, we got to go talk to, you know, uh, uh, David Zimmerman. We all oh, we need to go talk to the police officer. We need to go talk to Jason Van Dyke. I think there's two sides to every story. No, of course not. So why do we do that with with sexuality and why do we do that with women? Oh, we need to hear the two sides story, y'all. I don't care. You know, and, and his music has been popping, right? R. Kelly's music has been popping still. Y'all, yes, there is a movement to shut him down. There have been, you know, I know Spotify, I think places in iTunes, uh, at least at the time of this recording, um, are making movements to to not have his music on there anymore. Um, but to have lasted this long. I mean, as you'll see in the docuseries, or as if you haven't, it, it, it goes back years, decades. And the fact that he's still around. Somebody on Twitter said that, you know, the reason R. Kelly is not in jail and Bill Cosby is because Bill Cosby assaulted white women. OK, and R. Kelly, you know, he just went after the least. Right. And Malcolm X says it the best. Right. The most disrespected and dishonored woman in the, in, in the United States is the African-American woman, the black woman. We got a lot to engage with. So this is a three part series. We're going to spend the next three weeks dealing with this, y'all. I wanted to bring on guests to kind of unpack this a little bit and what this means for us, what this means for theological circles, church circles. I think it's important to uh, be having not just these conversations, but what are solutions? How do we train young men, young women, young folks who don't identify in the binary uh, up in a different manner than we have been raised? I'm asking those questions and I'm putting those to my guests. My first guest, my first guest, Take two. My first guest, I am honored to have April Rain. She is a, you about to see, she is an amazing uh, social media figure, thinker, and thought leader. Uh, she practiced law for nearly 20 years, honing her talent for public speaking, persuasive writing, and affecting policy change. But it wasn't until she walked away from her legal practice that she found her true passion. 
She's the creator of the viral hashtag turn movement, Oscar So White. April has been challenging the lack of representation of marginalized communities in Hollywood and beyond since 2015. Rain sustains a movement that has resulted in the most permanent systemic change ever seen in the over 80 year history of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. That's for real, y'all. Her name continues to be synonymous with this historic change, the results of which are reverberating throughout the entertainment industry and will do so for decades to come. Rain is an influential and sought after media presence, having built an impression, press, impressive global organic social media following over several platforms. So it's not just on Twitter, several platforms, as well as a network of recognized celebrities, creators, activists and decision makers at the corporate level. Rain capitalizes on the network of her experience, using her voice to spark conversations and explore issues of race, politics, culture and helping structures and helping structure ways to turn dialogue into action. Oh my gosh. April Rain travels internationally. Uh, she speaks here at academic uh, institutions and conferences and she's available uh, for appearances at industry awards, festivals and events. She's highly sought after and I am so thankful uh, that uh, she responded to my message and she agreed to come on Profane Faith to have a conversation around this whole thing of surviving R. Kelly. Without further ado, here's April and I's conversation. Up right on in. Um, April, thank you so much for coming on Profane Faith, this little podcast of mine. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I have followed you for a while, and this with this whole Surviving R. Kelly docuseries, it's just struck me, particularly, um, you know, having a daughter that's 12 and knowing, you know, the amount of folk, the women who were involved at, at, at being, at, you know, at, at age 12. And more importantly, though, and particularly in the African-American community, just just so many overlaps. Uh, and so what let me ask, let me start by this. What were your first impressions of R. Kelly prior to this series as just back in the day? Um, you know, he's been around now for, you know, a couple decades and whatnot. And so what were you, how, how did you come to know R. Kelly? Uh, I guess I, it's hard to say. I, I am, um, just three years younger than R. Kelly. So, um, you know, I definitely knew of his music. I can't actually say that I was a fan, you know, and I remember R. Kelly and public announcement, like even before he became the R. Kelly. Okay. Uh, I, I remember his, uh, relationship with Aaliyah, you know, and the fact that, you know, he's literally on her album cover, you know, age ain't nothing but a number, you know, sort of in fogged up, you know, leering in the background, which, you know, we can, which right. was definitely foreshadowing, you know, we can talk about that a little bit. Um, and, and so I knew who he was, you know, it, it, but I was never a fan. And I think it's always harder when you have to deal with, um, you know, someone who you held in high esteem and, and they have fallen from grace one way or another. Um, and I, um, I, so I knew of the allegations. Um, I can't say that I followed them super closely, um, but it was obvious that, you know, I, I had no interest in, you know, downloading his music or buying his CDs or anything like that, you know, once things started to surface. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no doubt, no doubt. And so what, I mean, I mean, one of the big questions or one of the things that kept popping up over and over and over in the series was like, you know, 
I, I was taken by his celebrity. Basically, he was this. Oh, he was going to make me big. I mean, what what makes it so difficult? Just in general, I'm, I'll get more specific here in a second about particularly the African American community. But in general, what I mean, you've got a celebrity who's sitting in the White House right now, right, and and, and leaned in on, on part of the, some of that celebrityism. Um, you know, when he showed up to different places and stuff. And so, what what is it about celebrities? What is it about that that makes it so difficult to believe when heinous things like this happen? I think we all put people on a pedestal, you know, and, and they're different people. Mm. Sometimes they're celebrities, sometimes okay. they're religious figures, you know, maybe the pastor in your community. And then there's a huge fall from grace or something like that. Um, it's, it's people who have attained a certain level of status. And sometimes that's wealth. Sometimes that's notoriety. Um, you know, it, and, and it's, we are all living aspirational lives. You know, we aspire to the huge mansions and, you know, the 14 cars and, you know, and being able to travel wherever you want to. And, and for me, you know, paying off your Sally Mae student loan debts <laughs> and things like that, right, you know, so, right. um, you know, you know, I think it happens on different levels and, and social media, I think only exacerbates that because, um, you know, again, I'm in my late forties, you know, back in the day, you know, I was definitely around pre-internet, you know, and so you didn't know what was going on with these celebrities until, you know, something dropped in the paper on TV. You didn't see, you know, now we've got Kim Kardashian telling you what she's eating for lunch every day. And, you know, and so there's, <laughs> there's definitely been, um, more interaction with, celebrities, you know, personas, big name superstars than there has been in the past. And I think that's good. That can be good and bad. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, we also need to tip our hats to not just Lifetime, the, the uh, network, but also to social media, um, you know, speaking out on these things in ways that we haven't seen before, you know, and, and, and we can get into this. I mean, R. Kelly has been preying on young black girls and women for 30 years, mm. 30 years. Um, but it, it wasn't until this particular documentary and people talking about it social, in social media that it seems like there may be some traction finally. And yes, there have been lawsuits in the past, but he hasn't spent, you know, one day um, convicted of a crime. And perhaps maybe now that's changing. And it's very similar, you know, when I created Oscar So White in 2015, mm -hmm. I was not saying anything that people for decades before me had not said, you know, Harry Belafonte and, and, you know, Ruby D and Ossie Davis and so many others that we need more diversity in entertainment, but it was sort of, you know, the right moment, the right time, the right platform for there to, to have this, um, awakening, I guess. And I think we're seeing that again now with R. Kelly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and to go specifics, I mean, you and you said a whole bunch. I mean, I definitely want to break break some of that down. I mean, in what makes it so hard to believe women, particularly black women? I mean, as I'm watching the series, I'm and, you know, it's like we see this. We notice. I mean, as an educator, we know this. I know theories and research around it, but it's just it's interesting to see even in, in there. I mean, to see it here, a juror, be, you know, when they were at the case and the trial and everything, be like, you know, I just didn't like the 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 witnesses. I didn't like the way they looked. I didn't like the way they talked. I didn't you know, I didn't I didn't like and we, and we hear that over and over and over. I mean, but what what is it about women? I mean, you know, we got Bill Cosby, 40 plus women. And somebody made the comment, I think it was on Twitter, that they said, you know, the reason Bill Cosby in jail, R. Kelly and I, because Bill Cosby assaulted white women. Um, That's right. What, 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 is the, what is that level of, of, of intersectionality as it, as it pertains to 
uh, black women as opposed to white women? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer. You know, as a black woman, I wish I did. I mean, you know, Malcolm X said, you know, the most disrespected woman in America is the black woman. You know, the most unprotected person in America is the black woman. Um, and, and that has unfortunately always been true. Uh, you know, and, and so you talk about feminism, you know, and, and all these other things where we're, you know, the march for equality and um but black women are always pushed to the side. You know, we, we are asked to do this amazing both uh, emotional and physical labor. But when, you know, and we are always there on the front lines for everybody else, you know, regardless of, of who you are with respect to um, marginalized community. But when it comes time to ask people to stand up for us, um, they're never there. And I, I don't know what that is, um, you know, but we see it time and time again, even, you know, you're, you see, there's been pushback on social media yeah. from black men mm-hmm. who have said, you know, oh, well, you're trying to, you know, bring another brother down. And, you know, and where where's the documentary on Harvey Weinstein and Woody <laughs> Allen and why we focus, you know, and there's so many things wrong with that. But but at its core, you know, my response is do black lives matter. Right. Because right. that's that's what right. you're saying. That's what you, what's in your bio or whatever. Do black lives matter. And if the answer is yes, then doesn't that also include black women? Hmm. Do black girls' lives matter? And if the if the answer is yes, then why is it that you want to take so rarely is the spotlight shown on our issues? Why do you want to take that spotlight away from us um, and put it somewhere else? Why are you trying to shield this man who is a predator? You know, who is abusing um, and assaulting young black girls and women. I mean, I, you know, I know you have a young daughter. I have a 15 year old daughter. Mm. There, there, it really touched um, a nerve for me, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it should for anybody, you know, you, you shouldn't have to, you know, Oh, well, if that was, if it was my daughter, my wife, my sister, it shouldn't have to go that far that you need a personal connection to stand up for people in your own community. Right. 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 I mean, and exactly. I mean, I think that that's and you said it. I mean, the quote from from Malcolm X, um, you know, as it pertains to, you know, just what what black women have had to endure um, in this country. I think the other thing that struck me uh, with this is are, are the amount of enablers that were are, are still around, um, Brother Kelly. And, and in a second here, I'm going to, you know, take it from the shift from. R. Kelly, you know, into into broader aspects, but particularly, you know, uh, you know, former security. I mean, his brother. I mean, one of his older brother, one in jail, was had me tripping out when he's just like, you know, we all have our preferences, you know, and he has his preference, you know. It's like, oh my God, day. I mean, good night. So, and you're right, the pushback, because I know a lot of men, you know, and having grown up in this environment where men can just say, oh, she crazy, and then automatically it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you're right. You're right, you know, or or oh, she, you know, another another tweet that said, you know, it takes, um, you know, one guy to tell you fifty women, you know, is a, is a hoe, but you know, it's just it takes, you know, fifty women to tell you one guy, you know, raped him and stuff. And so, how have you in, embattled some of those just those stereotypes in the day to day? Um, and and I mean, online, I see you online all the time. I mean, but you know, in the day to day, I mean, what 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 is what has some of that been like? And and has there been any pushback? from uh, your voice on, you know, on the whole hashtag surviving R. Kelly? Uh, The pushback that I have received, unfortunately, has been um, to large extent from black men. 
mm. right? Who mm. and and sometimes you have to wonder if the phrase "hit dogs holler" isn't applicable, Ooh. right? Okay. So if if you are pushing back on me, you know, and it's not me; it's dozens of women survivors who have come forward and said, you know, and the stories are are very similar. They're talking about mental, emotional, physical, financial abuse at the hands of this man over 30 years, right? So mm. it's not just one, even though one should definitely be enough, right. but we're talking 20, you know, and, and let's remember too, the surviving R. Kelly docuseries had several women on there, but those are the women who felt strong enough um, to be able to come forward. Who knows how many other women are out there who aren't ready to tell their story, who feel unable to tell their yes. story, yes. whatever the case may be, right? And so, you know, I was there when we were screening the R. Kelly docuseries, episode one, mm. in New York, um, and a threat was called in from a Chicago number. And we had to evacuate. I mean, the, the you know, and it was, you have to get out of the building right now. Um, wow. the, the cops, there, there were dozens of cops there. Um, and it was, and not just me, but there were other folks there, advocates and um, mental health and wellness people. Um, and actually some survivors of R. Kelly were there that night. Um, so you can imagine the, the tension, the stress um, that they were under. So it's not me, you know, I, you know, I, it, I feel like it's my responsibility to use my platform as responsibly as I can and to speak up for those who um, perhaps can't or won't um, or are not ready to. Right. Yeah. And so I'm happy yeah. to stand in the gap and, and do my little part online, um, you know, to amplify their voices and their concerns. Uh, but most of the pushback that I have seen has been, you know, oh, you're trying to tear a black man down. It's like, no, he tore himself down. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. it, there's, a, there's a difference between <laughs> allegations and fact. Right. Um, right. You know, and, if, and if he had not been, you know, in his 20s and even older, driving to high schools to prey on young girls, going to the mall and slipping them their phone numbers when he's literally twice their age, then we wouldn't be here. So it's his behavior that's tearing him down, not the women who are speaking up. Yes. And the, I mean, oh my gosh. Yes, that and that's a that, and that's what always gets me about abuse is that the folks who are surviving this are the ones that get beat down and oftentimes women, oftentimes black women, you know, with that. Um yeah, I having grown up in a very hyper masculine Culture. I was raised by two women, my mom and my grandmother. So seeing firsthand what, you know, what the damaging effects of hypermasculinity is on them, misogyny, I mean, and growing up in the South as well, in a small rural community, it was it was just crazy. But even with that growing up, that worldview, I still had a bunch of, you know, really, qu quite honestly, a lot of nasty old uncles who that's the way they viewed women. You know, my, my wife and daughter got a, a comment the other day uh they were at a store shopping and you know some man was like oh hey how you doing ladies oh but i can't tell y'all nothing and now because you know y'all y'all women speak back now <laughs> i'm like wait right yeah women have agency in 2019 <laughs> imagine that you know and and i think that's part of the problem that you know there there are a whole bunch of folks who see themselves 
mm-hmm. in some of the facets of R. Kelly's behavior. I'm not calling everybody a predator or anything like sure, that. Yeah. But but some but some of the emotional abuse. Oh, well, you can't, you know, I want you to wear this, you know, or you can't t- you know, and, and part of that, you know, you will see um very often men online saying, Oh, well, when once she and I get together, she can't have no girlfriends, you know, or she can't be around XYZ. That is a portion mm. of what R. Kelly was doing, right? Yeah. You know, you don't talk to anybody else in the house. You only talk to me, you know, or, you know, you go out to eat, you know, go out to dinner and okay, well, I'm going to order for you regardless of what you want. Well, in R. Kelly's world, it's, you know, you got to ask daddy before you can get something to eat. It, there are levels to this, yes. right? Yes. And, and if, if it's not checked early on, I think some of these folks are like, oh, okay, well, no, of course I'm not as bad as R. Kelly was, but I can see how maybe this part of our relationship or, or this piece of what I do on a regular basis can be seen as a bit controlling. And instead of actually dealing with that, they want to lash out and say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's not that bad or they're lying or, you know, these women are, you know, trying to get paid or which is insane. You know, first of all, <laughs> <laughs> you know, where where do they think the money is coming from? You know, are, you know it, just, it, it just makes no sense. But they are excuses that are made um, because people are feeling, you know, that their livelihood, that, that their masculinity is being threatened. Yes. I, and I think, you know, and, and having tried to work with young men for so long, uh, I, I think one of the things I, I was struck by, and particularly early on in, in my career, was that you know, it, it can be these, it's, it's a student, young men, a students that, that are, I had one young brother, I was doing, you know, I was, I, we, were, we were doing this whole workshop thing. And one young brother was like, man, dad, I appreciate you and what you're doing, man. But at the same time, dude, I don't know what you're going, I don't know what you, you know, what you stopping here. Women to me are like a library, right? I go in, I check one out when I want it. And when I'm done, I'll put them back or I leave it on the table for the homie to check out. And I'm like, whoa. These are, this is a, you know, this is like, I'm, my stereotype was like, oh, you, you got to be a bastard, you got to be a thug. But this is somebody suit and tie in church every weekend, singing in the choir, and this worldview just popped out. I'm just like, whoa. And so, in just having him battle that, I mean, <sighs> our young men, I mean, how, do, how, wh- how have we been, how, what's your perception of how young men are raised in this country, particularly young black men? What I, 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 could you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, I, that that story that you just told is sitting with me because so that means that women are to him inanimate objects mm-hmm. that have no agency, right? right. That, that who that are, who will sit and wait on the shelf to be chosen, right. you know, so that's the whole pick me whatever phenomenon, um, and then they they are used. Um, until they are no longer wanted, and then they are cast aside, right? And and right. so I, it, that's a lot. And you know, so I have a 15 year old daughter. I also have a 19 year old son. Mm. Um, and and you know, he's a college student, and so he's away. And you know, so my husband and I have attempted to instill in him, um, you know, morals and ethics, and you know, and and um, be thoughtful about how you treat, you know, treat all women the way you would want your sister to be treated. You know, think of your mother as you are, you know, talking to these women and, you know, and, and, and make sure you're holding yourself up, you know, holding yourself beyond reproach. Um, and so it, it, 
it's it's hard. You know, black men are not a monolith. Black people sure. are not a monolith. Yeah. So so it's hard to talk about how men are being raised today. But I I think that. We all have an opportunity, regardless of whether you come from a one or two parent home or being raised by someone who is not your biological parent. You know, it would it would behoove all of us to become more involved in our community. You know, so for those brothers who don't have um, the right role models, you know, reaching out to them as mentors, as just, you know, aunties and uncles, you know, to show them the way you, too many times. You know, brothers are getting their worldview on women from the wrong places, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, that, and that could be a myriad of things. You know, sometimes, you know, I know my, my son has learned quite a bit from the barbershop, you know, and that mm. can be good and bad, you know, so you sort of have to check that because, you know, you definitely want to have that, that sense of community, right? But at the same time, if, you know, the creepy uncle is getting his hair, you know, <laughs> is getting his fade at the same time that my son is, well, maybe that's not a conversation that's going to be fruitful for him down the line. Right. Um, so, you know, it, a lot of it is just reinforcement. You know, and and so the same way that we have those conversations about driving while black, you know, and making sure that your car is up to snuff and, you know, what do you need to do when, not if, but when you are pulled over, we need to have those conversations about how you treat women, how you see women in the world and, and that they should be considered equals on every level, um, you know, and treat it with the love and respect that you would want to receive. Follow these accusations against Harvey Weinstein and President Trump. It is clear that these scandals are about much more than successful men abusing their power. It is now a desperate call to address the reality that sexual assault is a global problem. Estimates published by the World Health Organization indicate that about one in three women worldwide have experienced some sort of sexual violence in their lifetime. But now, more than ever, women and men are using social media to call for action. Actress Rose McGowan publicly accused Harvey Weinstein of raping her in a series of tweets last week. Twitter then temporarily deactivated her account, which prompted a hashtag women boycott Twitter movement. Amid that boycott, a different social media campaign sprung up to amplify the voices of a segment of women who all too often are not heard or championed. I'm talking about women of color and the hashtag that came to signify our voices, women of color affirmation. Joining me now is the creator of that hashtag, activist April Rain. April is also the creator of the Oscar So White hashtag that went viral back in 2015. April, welcome. Really good to have you with us on the program. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So let me ask you, was there a specific moment or incident that led you to say women of color need to stand apart from the women boycott Twitter movement last week? Well, it's not a matter of standing apart because I definitely support what Rose McGowan is doing. You know, she has been a one-person wrecking crew in sort of bringing to light uh, the sexual abuse and harassment that so many men and women have have experienced in the entertainment industry. So I stand with her um, in, in allowing those voices to be heard. The issue is that what we saw on Friday was a groundswell of support for Rose and and. Uh, 
um, vitally and importantly so, but there have been so many women of color who have experienced targeted abuse and harassment on social media who did not receive that support. So I felt it necessary to affirm those women of color uh, so that we should stand with them just as we were standing with Rose. This is what Ashley Ford said to Refinery29. The women who are boycotting Twitter today are not bad or wrong. The women who have decided not to boycott Twitter today are not bad or wrong. This isn't a moment to make accusations of divisiveness or maliciousness. This is a moment to recognize when the women with the most power forget or choose not to organize with those who have the least. So tell me, um, April, how much pushback did you get from, from coming up with this hashtag? Uh, how much, how much negativity did you experience from those who maybe just didn't understand the hashtag? Yes, that, that did happen, unfortunately. And, and um, in my experience, the, the people that I get, got the most pushback from were white women who didn't understand, who A, didn't understand why we all didn't boycott on Friday, and B, didn't understand why a special hashtag, as they called it, needed to be created to, to celebrate um, women of color. So it was, it was unfortunate, um, because the hashtag is nothing, women of color affirmation is nothing but positivity. I mean, it's got the word affirm in it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, it, but I used it, and many used it, as a teachable moment to say, you know, all too often feminism has not been intersectional. Feminism yeah. has been about white women when really we need to think about other women and the fact that women of color face additional challenges um, in being both a woman of color and um, female um, or non-binary. And so we need to keep that in mind. You know, very often white women um, are considered the default and we just need to broaden our frame of reference a little bit so that we are being more inclusive of everyone. It's the same type of thing that I talk about with Oscar So White, right? We just need to think beyond what our implicit biases are, think outside of our own bubble so that we are more inclusive of everyone else. And April, it is worth pointing out, as you touched on in that first answer, that there has been no mass female-driven outrage surrounding the treatment of Jamel Hill. Uh, here's what musician and DJ Questlove tweeted. He said, I, in addition to supporting the women boycott Twitter movement, I ask you all to remember that Jamel Hill is catching hell as well out, referencing um, her confrontation with uh, the White House and President Trump and uh, the White House going as far as to say that she should be fired. Then, of course, there was the situation with Leslie Jones, who was subjected to the most abhorrent, the most dreadful hatred on Twitter, which all centered around her being part of the remake of Ghostbusters. How do you account for the lack of outrage for those two women of color and many others besides? Right. I think that there was outrage among the women of color community. But unfortunately, there wasn't outrage um, with white women, you know, women who self-identify as feminists. And so women of color affirmation is saying, let's be consistent. If we are going to affirm women, then let's, and we're going to stand with women, then let's stand with Jamel Hill. Let's stand with Jamila Lemieux. Let's stand with Blair Imani. Let's stand with, let's stand with Leslie Jones. Let's stand with all women who face targeted abuse and harassment in any form. So if you're going to boycott for Rose McGowan, and really these allegations, as you mentioned, just came to light within the mm -hmm. last 10 days, why isn't that, why is it that there was not the same type of outrage for Jamel Hill when this has been going on for nearly a month now?
So looking at at this, I mean, and now I mean, I was following the the, the some of the the updates, and then I saw some tweets uh, about Toure, you know, and you know who was on there, and now you know he's got charges, and then the 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 young woman, you know, basically she had receipts, and so she posted, you know, the the screenshots of the of the, the direct messages between uh, him and her and stuff and whatnot. I mean, and you know, then you got the list of of people that they're saying you know didn't want to appear uh, on the documentary, and that you know you got John Legend who was you know one of the only ones or whatnot, and so I mean, comment a little bit on that because I know I know I saw some some tweets some Twitter <laughs> exchanges with you about you know in regards to you know folks who didn't want to participate, folks who were par- participate, or basically just you know him, and now you got these allegations coming up um, with which not an allegation. I mean that's that's I mean I, I believe. The woman who uh, who who said you know Toure was you know basically sexually assaulting me verbally. Um, can you comment on some of that and talk talk just talk a little bit about some of some of some of that? Yeah, there's a lot going on there. I think uh, part of it is, I mean, it, and it wasn't just Toure. You know, Charlemagne the God, yeah. you know, admitted to raping his now wife. You know that that he was having sex with her while she was unconscious and unable to consent. Right. And, and so that that happened. Um, and I think there was one other com- commentator on like the last um, night of the series uh, and people were sort of looking at them with side eye. Like, you know, why did you choose this particular person when yeah. they've got issues? Um, you know, and, and so and it's hard, I think, uh, you know, people sometimes act as if what they know about Twitter Everybody in the entire world knows, right? And so how, you know, so yes, due diligence is absolutely necessary. So you don't want to necessarily put somebody on. And let's also remember, you know, people forget how, you know, docuseries and movies and TV shows are done in general. Like, so if they're doing interviews months and months before Mm -hmm. and then something drops, you know, then what do you do? How do you cut? How do you edit? You know, what do do you do there? Um, And and so I'm not letting Lifetime off the hook with any of that. But, you know, I had like a a huge public falling out um, a while back and somebody said to me, you know, hey, you, you know that this is just Twitter, right? And it's like, well, you say that, but so much of my life um, you know, so, so much of the positive things that have happened with me professionally have happened because of Twitter. And it's mm-hmm. like, but yeah, remember that there's a whole, there's like 6 billion people outside of this particular <laughs> social media app who probably have no idea, you know, so the fact that you're feeling, you know, awful about what's just happened, if you ask anybody walking down the street, if they know about it, of course they do not, you know, so let's put it in perspective for what it is. Mm. With respect to John Legend, Speaking out, I mean, you know, kudos to him because he was the only like really serious public figure celebrity in the music industry to do so. And, and Dream Hampton made it very clear on social media that she reached out to many, many celebrities who were not willing to say anything publicly. Um, but I think we we have to be careful there as well, because mm-hmm. um, we. We want our, you know, our faves, our, you know, our celebrities, our public figures and personas 
um, to speak out on issues, especially issues about social justice, but only when they say what we want them to say. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So, you know, so people, you know, for years and years, and you know, again, this is my age, but for years and years, people wanted uh, Michael Jordan to speak out, you know, about all the things that were going on. You know, he's from North Carolina, and obviously, you know, in the South, they have all kinds of issues, as, as we do across the country with respect to racism and, and discrimination. And so finally, when he came out, he said, well, Republicans buy sneakers, too, allegedly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he allegedly yeah. said, that. right, right, so right. Like, well, sometimes it's like, oh, I didn't think you were going to go that way. Maybe you should just sit there and eat your salad. Right. We don't want to hear from you anymore. <laughs> right. So we right. have we have to be careful. It's like, yeah, you want them, but you want to you want to preface it with, oh, well, what are you going to say first? Because if you're not going to say what I want you to say, then, you know, you just be quiet. Right. Um, right. But, you know, and, and so even now, now that the docuseries has come out and, and, you know, the backlash and blowback and all the rest of that and conversations have happened, now who is going to step forward? And, and that's what I find most interesting. Okay, you've had a shot to say something back in the day. Now that you see how things have been received, now that, you know, you may know more about um, all of the allegations and the assaults and the abuse than you did, you know, a month ago, now where do you stand? Mm -hmm. Right. Are you are you still going to be silent or are you going to use your platform for good and say, you know, maybe it's time for the music platforms, you know, Spotify and Apple and Tidal and, and all the rest of them to pull his music, um, you know, from from their catalog completely. Because what we now have learned from the docuseries is that many, if not most of the songs that R. Kelly both wrote for himself and for other people were about the underage girls that he mm. was abusing at the time. Yeah. So songs like, you know, Seems Like You're Ready and Bump and Grind and even the song You Are Not Alone that he wrote and was performed yes. by Michael Jackson, yes. those were all about underage girls. And so, you know, how can you step in the name of love to a song <laughs> that is about assaulting a child? You know, and we're not talking 18, we're talking 14, um, 15 year old girls who could not consent, whose, you know, brains are not fully formed, mm. who, you know, mm. and, and, you know, and we talk about Tamir Rice was a child. Yes, we all get that. He was 12 years old, you know, but if you turn the tables and say, well, you know, Aaliyah was introduced to R. Kelly when she was 12 years old. You know, all of a sudden, Aaliyah becomes, you know, what they call a fast girl. Oh, she yes. wanted it. And, and why yes. is that? You know, why? so let's talk about that, you know, that nomenclature that you're using and what it does to young girls when they have absolutely no control about how or when their body develops. Um, and yet they're being leered at and preyed upon by men who are twice their age um, and who can take, you know, mental and physical advantage over them. Exactly. Um, so okay. So shifting a little bit, one of the one of the 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 critiques, right? I mean, I, I, as I'm looking at just the hashtag surviving R. Kelly, you know, folks are posting pictures of other celebrities who have, you know, particularly men who you know have have been with uh, underage women. You know, the biggest one being, of course, Elvis uh, Presley. Um, you know, and talking about that, and I believe you know the docu series also you know highlighted on that as well. Um, you know, how do you, you know, and obviously this is a, a, for at least for me, it's a straw hat argument when people are like, oh, if you're going to go after R. Kelly, why don't you go after 
other folks. But I'm wondering, I mean, is when we look at, again, going back to celebrityism and whatnot, how, when we look at it, because I wanted to shift a little bit, I mean, how much bigger is this R. Kelly thing when I think about church, when I think, I mean, a lot of my career I've spent, you know, working inside of, of church settings um, and in, in hearing some of this, dealing with some of this stuff, um, the paying off of folks, especially for those, you know, who have money and power. Um, I don't know if you can if you can talk on some of that and, and speak on some of that on, on how that is. I mean, just whether it be. The celebrities who are dating an older man, dating a you know younger woman, or uh, you know you have uh, other pastors, because I guess I'm I guess what I'm trying to get at is this isn't just. This is, I was talking with somebody just the other day, and they were like, "Well, this isn't just R. Kelly. This is much bigger than him." Yes, that's problematic and, and, and heinous in many regards, but this is also going on in you know your elementary school, you know, and, and adults across the way. I mean, so what are some of the ways that some of these things rear their ugly heads just in other spaces, you know, like this? I think it's it's common. This is definitely not something that is um, happening just in in the music industry, you know, and and absolutely, then it's also always been an issue. I mean, and and you're right that Lifetime brought up the fact that, you know, it was um, Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, and Elvis, and and even Marvin Gaye were, you know, involved in relationships, let's call them broadly, you know, with underage girls. I mean, there's, there's some inkling that there's something going on with Drake right now. Like, you know, Drake is, was, in his oh, late yeah. 20s, early 30s, and he's texting Millie Bobby Brown from the Stranger Things yeah. series, yes. and she's like 14. Right. And, you know, and, and listen, again, as a mother of a 15-year-old, there better not never <laughs> be, <laughs> right. you know, any man. There, there's no—and I don't care if it's a teacher— Right. Which which might make the most sense. But a teacher, a youth pastor, I don't want any grown man texting my daughter for any reason whatsoever. You know, and oh, you know, I miss you. I love you. And giving her dating advice. That's not appropriate. Right. And and so that happens there. But, you know, in talking about other industries, not always is it underage women, but just the wrongful treatment of women. So we just saw the other day, uh, Pastor T.D. Jakes, right, was so-called exercising the spirit from Pastor John Gray, right? And John Gray was accused of cheating on his wife. And so he bought her like a $200,000 car and the devil made him do it and all this mess. And it's like, just take ownership of your actions, right? (laughs) Right. Satan, Satan is busy. Okay, all the time. Right. But Satan wasn't in the bedroom with you when you decided to cheat on your wife. That was all you, fam. So take, you know, so take right. responsibility for that. And and then what are you doing, um, TD Jakes, in coddling this behavior? Right. And and so that, I mean that's part of it. It's this this wall that that people put up to protect their own. And it's unfortunate because, again, who suffers from that wall? Who suffers from the silence? Who suffers from all of it? It's black women. You know, so so now we're going to use the devil made me do it as an excuse for cheating on your spouse. That that shouldn't fly. And yet it does all the time. The black church 
historically, has also had trouble um, handling not uh, or mishandling issues of abuse, not just of young girls, but also young boys. Right. Mm. And issues of, of homophobia within the church. So you're going to tell me that, you know, the Bible says that marriage is only between a man and a woman and yet your choir director and half your choir, you know, are, (laughs) you know, of the LGBT plus community. And yes, of course, you want them to sing and and be, you know, uh, do their liturgical dances, but you don't want to acknowledge their full selves and let them live and love who they want to. It's hypocritical to me. Mm. Well, and and I, I mean, and I'd love to talk maybe then, you know, about some some of that uh, that hypocritical, you know, uh, nature because again, some of the critics or some of the folks, I mean, again, you talk about barbershop, like barbershop talk, uh, particularly with you know with men and men in there, it's like you know, hey, everybody got skeletons in their closet, you know, you don't want somebody, you know, tell you know spilling your your closet out is. Is this issue really about that? Like, hey, we all got stuff, so let's just not say anything. But meanwhile, you have people getting abused. What for you is the line? What 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 is the line when it's just like, okay, all right, you know that. But then it or is is is, you know, again going back to the hypocritical, it's like you know somebody, for example, uh, somebody who says, oh, I'm a I'm a vegan. You know, but, you know, I still like me, you know, some cheese or I, I still like, you know, getting a little, you know, just a little bit of ham sandwich every now and then and stuff. So, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm using those as examples, but I just be curious for you. What personally, like, what, what is the line? How do you how do you deal with some of that hypocriticalness? I mean, uh, you know, as it relates to abuse, sexual, you know, particularly sexual abuse uh, in the black community. Um, you know, some people say, oh, I think we're just making too much of this. I mean, not, and just beyond the, the R. Kelly thing, but, you know, that's what people have said about the Me Too movement, right? It's like, man, yeah, I think it's just gone too far. It's just gone too far. It was what a guy told me three weeks ago. It's just gone too far. Like, I was cool at the beginning, but it's just, it's gone too far, and, and no one's perfect. <laughs> like, yeah, how do you engage I that? I mean, it, it, we, you know, we all sin and fall, sh- fall short of the glory of God on a daily basis, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. However... <laughs> come on, However, come on. When when your behavior, um, when your behavior and or your um, your inaction uh, leads to leads to the harm of other people, then that's where the line is crossed for me, right? Mm. And so, and I say it that way because I'm not just talking about those folks who are abusive in and of themselves, but also those folks who allow abuse to continue. So if you know that your Uncle Charlie is messing around with young girls, right, or, you know, leering at them or saying things that he shouldn't be saying, and you don't check Uncle Charlie, then you are complicit too, right? Mm. And so you, and you are allowing that behavior to continue. And, and so that's where I draw the line. So not just are you, you know, are you doing it yourself, but are you allowing it to continue because of your silence? Mm. Mm-mm. I, and again, man, this is, uh, this is deep because I, I think that's another thing that struck me in the documentary in, again, not, it, it, yes, the enablers, but the folks, the amount of folks who are in his camp when they, you know, talk about carloads of women were being you know, brought in. It's like, you know, you, and you hear every survivor talking about there were women in this room. You go to the studio and it was women in this room. And I'm so, so I'm just like, okay, look, this brother can't read or write well. So it's like, who's, who's getting these things put together? Who's putting these flights together? And I'm just curious, like what, 
What do you think captain keeps somebody doing that? Like, is it like security guards that are that have been there, you know, for them? I mean, like, what keeps what what and not not what keeps uh, the people who are being abused silent, but who are the who, what keeps people who they're enabling them, you know, keeps them keep them silent? What 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 would you say to that? Money. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, they they don't want to mess up their check. You know, and and because some of those folks, you know, what else are they going to do? Like, if, if your entire job has been managing R. Kelly for the last twenty years, or um, you know, providing security, then how, where else are you going to find a job if you walk away from that, right? And and you sort of get stuck. I mean, you know, the the men who said, yeah, you know, we used to go to the mall to cruise, you know, to pick up young girls for him. Oh, I feel bad about it now. It's like, but brother, you were in it 20 years ago, right? You knew that you were looking for somebody half his age. You know, you were looking for somebody under 18 because that was what, you know, that was his thing. That was his kink. Um and, and so I think that's what it is. And and perhaps it maybe they also feel like, well, because I, you know, maybe I can be held as an accomplice or complicit in some of this and, and they don't want to go to jail, you know. But after a while, when you see R. Kelly's not going to jail, you don't really have to worry about you going to jail, right? Because if the, the main perpetrator isn't going, you won't either. Hmm. But I, I really think that that's, I really think it's, Money, you know, I don't know how well he paid them, but but imagine what kind of life you are living if you know, you know, you hear, you're sitting in the studio, you hear him having sex with these girls, with these babies, Mm -hmm. you know, and yet, you know, or you're bringing them onto the tour bus and you know what's happening and you don't say anything when these girls look like they could be your own daughters or your own nieces and you don't say anything for years. Like what, what does your, what does it look like for you? You know, what, what is your mental headspace like when you can do that? And it, and it wasn't just the manager and the security. I mean, it is everybody, you know, they said on the, in the documentary, you know, surviving R. Kelly, that he's got contact on the Chicago police department on the police force. Yeah. So yeah. when they went to do the wellness checks mm-hmm. of the girls, where right. you know, they actually go inside, he knew they were coming. You know, and and so he could do whatever, you know, he needed to do to ensure that he wasn't going to get caught. Um, so it's everybody around him. It's also the, the record label. You know, y'all knew what was going on. Now, supposedly, you know, some of these young girls and women said, oh, well, R. Kelly is going to make me a star, right? R. Kelly has promised me that. And yet he hasn't premiered or debuted any artist that I'm aware of since Aaliyah 25 years ago. Right, right. Right. So, so what, what, what's going on with these contracts? Like, you know, what is RCA expecting, you know, to, to hear from these young upcoming, you know, girls who, who can sing their heads off? P- apparently not. Right. So it's, it's everybody. It's everybody that surrounds him even to this day. Let's not lose fact, lose sight of the fact that he has young girls under his control or young women under his control today as you and I are recording this podcast. Right. This is not over. Um, and mm. so everybody who continues to enable him to this day is complicit in harming young black girls and women. Mm. 
Yes. And that also that also includes just one more thing that yeah. also includes everybody who is still streaming and downloading his music. Yes. Because because R. Kelly needs money to you know to keep up these homes and his studio and everything else. Um, you know where he abuses these girls. So you know we there was actually a spike in. Um, listening on at least Spotify, because Spotify is the most transparent with their numbers, but I bet it was across all music platforms. Mm -hmm. There was actually an increase in people listening to his music after the Surviving R. Kelly documentary, which is crazy to me. So now there there are two things that may have happened there, I think. Some there may have been people who were doing so out of spite. Oh, well, I'm still one step in the name of love, so let me go listen to his music. <laughs> right, you right. Know, and, and you wonder what kind of psyche that is when you know that he is preying on young girls and yet you feel like you're getting one over on whom? On black girls, right? Mm. You know, so who, who are you proving your point to? And, and secondly, it was, I think, you know, because it came out that a lot of the music, as I said, you know, he's made, he's written especially about black girls and women that um, people wanted to go and listen, you know, with fresh ears and listen to the lyrics and realize that, you know, when he says, seems like you're ready, oh, he was talking about a 14-year-old girl there, right? The problem with that argument is, all of R. Kelly's songs and the lyrics are available on Google. So if you just wanted to find out, you know, connect the lyrics with what you heard in the documentary, yeah. you can do that without putting money in his pocket by just Googling the lyrics and reading them for yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, man, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, it's like money. I don't know. I mean, when, you know, it, it, when it's said that the you know money is the root of all evil, I mean I think part of that the 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 complexity of that is that it you know it like you said it's a paycheck it's uh, somebody's silence it's somebody's you know payoff uh, you know again some of the stuff the interactions just it, that I've had with just men over you know over the last when particularly black men you know it's like oh well these money grabbing hoes and bees you know they just out there just they now they want to come out and so they can get paid and everything and I'm just like no brothers this is much deeper than just money this is this is like like you said that there are folks who are still involved right now like at this very moment i again looking on twitter this morning they were like you know somebody called the cops because they they reported suspicious activity last night you know right. <laughs> and and what money do you think that these women are getting right <laughs> like, yeah. let's let's talk it through for just a minute you know, they're, they're not, these women are not signing book deals. They're not, you know, they didn't get any money to be in the Lifetime docuseries Surviving R. Kelly. They, you know, so where do you, where is this money coming from? Who, you know, these, these women, many of whom thought that R. Kelly was going to make them famous. RCA is reaching out to these women to sign them to singing contracts. So what money are you really talking about, right? And it, do you think that the money is worth their well-being? I mean, we saw... During, I think it was after night one, um, you know, there were women, including one of his survivors, who was, according to her social media feed, contemplating suicide. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Because there were so many people coming at her on social media saying the most horrific things. These are women who finally, some, some after years, after a decade, have found the strength to speak out against this predator. 
And they are rewarded with it by people saying, oh, you know, you're a hoe, you're fast, you're, you're this and you're that. And you're, you know, you're exactly, you know, looking for a paycheck when they're just trying to tell their story. Right. And so where those people who say, oh, these women are only in it for a paycheck, who's signing the paycheck? Right. I mean, that's always the question. Like, where do you think the money is coming from? Because these women are seeing a dime and some of them have had their entire lives destroyed. Remember, some of these women were under his control for over a decade. Mm, Right. right. And if you're saying you were you were with him from 15 to 19 or or even older. And, you know, so you've missed part of high school, you've missed part of college or all of college. So what marketable skills do they now have? Um, you know, and, and what is their emotional mind state, mind state that they can actually go out and get these jobs? So, you know, when people say they're just in it for the money, I always say, well, who is writing the check? And, and let's figure <laughs> out if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, you, are, no, you got it there. You got it right there. I mean, whew, man. Um, so moving forward and, and thinking, I mean, like, what are what are you up to? What are some of the things that you're doing it keeps you hope. It keeps moving forward. Sometimes I ain't gonna lie. I just it feels overwhelming between all the stuff that's happening in Washington. You know, family members who are affected by this shutdown. You know, who are blue collar workers who work for the you know for the for the government and whatnot. And so I'm like, oh my gosh. And then this stuff comes out. What what keeps you what what keeps you going? What what gives you hope and 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 you know pushing forward to the next time next day. I think it's that there's always more work to be done. Right, And so we, we have to hold on to that tiny sliver of hope um, and keep moving forward in, in ways that we can. And you're right. I mean, we, you know, we're getting hit by by all sides. You know, we got social justice issues and financial issues, environmental issues. And it would be very easy to, um, you know, to just go inside yourself and give up and say, oh, OK, you know, <laughs> the, 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 right. you know, the country is going to hell or, you know, the entire planet is going to hell or, you know, and, and so it doesn't make. But you have to keep fighting. You know, and and if you look at um, from where we've come, you know, our people were brought here on chains and were enslaved for hundreds and years of years, and we persevered and we survived, right? And things are nowhere near where they should be now for Black folks in this country, mm. but we are not where we are where we were. Right. And so if they can persevere, if they can survive um, what they had to go through, then I absolutely have a responsibility um, to continue for my children and the generations after them. Mm. This has been powerful. Um, April, thanks just for coming on and and taking the time to to, to have this very important uh, conversation. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Where um, where can folks find you? You know, when they want to bring you out to their university or their uh, activist setup, pay you that that six figure honorarium and everything. And Amen. Get you. <laughs> Amen. Let's speak that into the universe all day. Come on. Um, my my social media. I'm too old to to be. I, well, I like to say it's brand consistency, but really it's just I'm too old to remember too many different things. So um, I am Rain of April everywhere. So it's my name backwards, R-E-I-G-N-O-F, and then April like the month. I'm most often on Twitter, but also Instagram and, and Facebook and LinkedIn and all the other social media platforms. Nice. Um, and so you can reach out to me there. And, and my website is rainofapril.com. And uh, I, I appreciate this opportunity. It's really been fun. No, this has been good. This has been good. And, and I would definitely hit you back up uh, now that uh, 
now that we now that we're in, engaged in conversation and everything. So uh, for those of you listening, I'll put all this stuff in the show notes. Definitely, if you have not checked out April's uh, Twitter feed, you have to do that. I'm actually going to look you up on Instagram. I always forget. I sleep on Instagram, so uh... I do too. I do too. And and you know, and, and it's, it's not it's not nece- it's definitely not as popping as my Twitter is. But every now and again, I'll put a picture or something up there. But yeah, it's it's anemic considered you know compared to my Twitter feed. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Well, April, again, thank you. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. If you go to whitehodgepodcasts.com and look up Profane Faith, there's going to be a host of material there for resources and to seek help. Sexual abuse is real, y'all. It's real. It's everywhere around us. Peace, y'all.